evening. Uh, certainly a blessing to be with you on this evening, this beautiful evening, and uh, thankful for uh, uh, no winter in New England. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how it's been here, but boy, we've been—it's been sweatshirt weather for us uh, most of the most of the winter. So we're grateful for that. Um, and uh, truly is an honor to be among you and, and uh, be able to come and uh, just fellowship with you. Uh, thank you so much for your warm and welcome reception of our son. Uh, a few, uh, well, uh, last month, I believe it was, a couple of months ago, uh, as he was here and, and uh, was just blessed uh, for uh, spending time with you and uh, is anticipating being uh, here and being used to the Lord, and uh, and that's certainly our prayers that God would uh, uh, use him, and and certainly as uh, God has used this church in our lives, and uh, we're so thankful for uh, the history we have with you. Uh, for many years, uh, as Pastor Rich Zavosky was here, and uh, as the youth pastor, our youth groups spent time together. I remember our trips to uh, across America and Michigan. I don't know if any of you remember those times, but. Uh, we spent uh, a lot of a lot of hours on the road, uh, traveling in that bus, and taking that trip to Michigan, and uh, and watching God work in the lives of our young people, and uh, it's just exciting. It's exciting when we see God at work, isn't it? Uh, and uh, boy, we want to see that every time we meet together. I know it's your pastor's heart and his wife that God would just continue to work in the hearts of people here at Harvest Baptist Church. I want to just take a moment to introduce my wife Jennifer, and uh, she's uh, we're now been married for 25 years. Uh, we have uh, five children; uh, they all begin with C. Uh, the five C's. We weren't planning that, but uh, it's Chad, Chelsea, Cameron, uh, Chandler, and Kaylee. And uh, Chad uh, being our oldest, uh, but we have three. As your pastor mentioned, we have three being married this year. So. Uh, if you see a man wandering around homeless in Holyoke, it may be me. Uh, it, it might, might be my wife. So uh, we are, um, uh, but we are excited of all the Lord is doing. I didn't realize uh, that this was a time that you are praying about revival in in church. And um, if you're praying, if you are praying for revival and you were expecting a revival preacher, you invited the wrong guy, Pastor. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I certainly want to be a help and a blessing to you. I'm not a uh, very bombastic or, or uh, energetic, I guess, but I, I do love God's word, and I do love God, and I love his people, and, uh, and, and, and I'm always excited to be in God's house, um, and uh, we love church. We do. We love church. We love uh, seeing God work in uh, hearts of people, and that's truly where God does his greatest work is in our hearts. And so this evening, that's what we're going to be looking at. So I'd, I invite you to join me if you have a copy of God's word. Let's go over to 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16. <clears throat> and uh, once again, just very thankful for your preacher and his friendship over the years. Uh, has always been uh, truly just a, a gentleman and uh, a friend to us, we're thankful for uh, this place being here and how God has used this place and, and looking forward to the future of what God is going to do here at Harvest Baptist Church. This evening, we're going to just take some time and uh, we'll look together here in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in just a moment. Uh, but I want to just uh, just get your thoughts here this evening. I don't know if anyone here has ever had an EKG, 
Uh, an EKG, as you might know, is uh, an instrument that is used. Uh, six to eight different electrodes are attached to a person uh, across their chest, and then electricity is passed through those electrodes, and how fast that electricity moves through a heart or how slow it moves through the heart will give a measure of how healthy uh, the human heart is. And so this evening, I want to uh, just take some time to just, if we would, just kind of have a spiritual EKG and just allow God to uh, measure our heart or we ourselves do a little bit of diagnosing this evening of our own hearts. Because the fact of the matter is, is God is always measuring our hearts. He's always testing our hearts. And so God knows our heart. He knows our hearts tonight. He knows where we are. And, uh, you know, I found at times it's easy to uh, kind of put on a front. And, uh, you know, we can kind of uh, easily fool people. Uh, but the fact is, is God knows our heart. But the, the thing is, is God wants us to know our hearts as he knows it. He wants us to see ourselves for who we truly are. And, and um, in fact, we're going, I teach the college and career class in our church. And uh, we're going through a lesson right now called Living in the Real. And uh, it's kind of getting past all of the facades and, you know, uh, the false realities that even we ourselves create. And uh, we live within those false realities, and God would have us to live in reality. He wants us to live in the moment and, uh, and be honest about where we are. Um, so God wants us to see uh, our hearts for the way he sees them, and because God is after our hearts. He wants our hearts, uh, and he wants our hearts more than he does our minds. You know, we can have all of the right beliefs, have all the right doctrines, and we may even at times be pursuing God with our minds, learning more about God, learning more about his word. Uh, I have found, I remember our years in Bible college, my years in Bible college, it was a lot of information coming in, a lot of knowledge about God, and we'd spend time in class uh, every day learning more and more about God himself. And uh, I learned very quickly that we, that I myself, that I can pursue God with my mind and gain a lot of information about God, but in the process of gaining all that knowledge, have my heart grow cold. And uh, that is a possibility for all of us. No doubt we should pursue God with our minds and learn more about him, learn all we can about him. But folks, it must include our heart. And God wants our hearts today. I came across a, a preacher of uh, years and years ago in the 1700s, a Scottish theologian by the name of Robert Sandeman. Robert Sandeman uh, came up with this doctrine that as long as you had all the right beliefs, in other words, uh, the nature of faith and salvation was gained in your mind. You, as long as you believed right, then you were saved. So you could go through your checklist, and as long as you believed in your mind that Jesus was, was the Son of God, and you believed that Jesus, you know, that he's the Savior, and, and uh, so it was really a mental ascent to faith. And, of course, that's a very 
dangerous and erroneous doctrine to just have a belief or in your mind believe that he is God. We understand that salvation does not take place in the mind. It takes place in the heart. The Bible says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there was a doctrine that came out of that called uh, Sandemanianism. And Sandemanianism was a doctrine that was spreading throughout Scotland and was making its way here to the shores of our country in, in, in England. And uh, great men like John Wesley and, uh, and others, uh, other uh, Baptist preachers quickly uh, began to preach against this erroneous doctrine. Um, and again, you may not be familiar with that term. I certainly wasn't until I came across it. But, uh, but that, that, that uh, mindset or that doctrine can kind of creep its way into our own lives where as long as we're, we have everything checked off, we have the right kind of beliefs, um, that we're okay, and that we're all right with God, as long as we believe right. But you see, it's more than that. It, God wants our heart involved. And he, he, so he's testing our heart. So uh, that's what we're going to do this evening. And the title of the message is simply Diagnosing Your Heart. Diagnosing Your Heart. Before we go any further, let's make our prayer, and then we'll ask God's blessing upon his word to our hearts this evening. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we're just so grateful to be here tonight. Thank you for everyone that's come out. Lord, it's been such a pleasure uh, just meeting everyone. And, and uh, thank you for the music tonight that just speaks to our hearts. Lord, we do pray that you would revive us again uh, where perhaps the heart has grown cold. And Lord, we may have all of our beliefs right, but Lord, we know you test our hearts. And so, God, I pray that you would just uh, awaken our heart tonight. And, uh, Lord, we're, we're just once again so grateful for this time of fellowship. And uh, thank you for this preacher and this wonderful church family. I pray that, Lord, you would just bless as only you can do. Uh, Lord, Holy, uh, we pray the Holy Spirit would move uh, upon every heart tonight. And uh, might we leave here more close, walking more closely to Jesus uh, than we came in through the doors and, uh, Lord, I do pray if there's someone here among us, I don't know hearts, Lord, but if there's someone here today that has never trusted in Christ as their Savior, uh, that today their heart would be drawn to you, and, and Lord, uh, that salvation would become a reality for them. And we'll thank you for all that you'll do. It's in Jesus' sweet name we do pray. Amen. One of the best ways to diagnose our hearts or to test our hearts this evening what it, where our hearts truly are, is uh, to look at the lives of others. And here in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, we see the prophet Samuel, and uh, he's being told by God to go and visit the house of Jesse. Now Samuel was the last judge of Israel, and we understand it was at this point that the nation of Israel were, was crying for a king. They wanted a king as other nations had kings, and uh, they were rebelling against the rule of God. Now, God ruled up to this point. God ruled and reigned over his people himself. It was a theocracy. And so the nation of Israel cried for a king, and Samuel, of course, opposed it, but God told Samuel to hearken unto the voice of the people. And so that's what is taking place here. A king is being chosen. So uh, God sends Samuel 
to the house of Jesse. And if you look here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, let's look together in verse 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him, reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hear it? He will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint to me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come, he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are, there, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came unto David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. As we see here in verse 7, it's, it's really a key uh, to this message this morning. As we read here how the Lord spoke to Samuel, and, and again, the Lord here is choosing a king. You know, the nation of Israel had already chosen a king, Saul, and we're going to look at him in just a moment. But here we find God himself is choosing a king, and he's choosing a man after his own heart. Because God sees the heart. He says, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. So I want to see for the next few moments here how God tests a heart. And we're going to see how God tested, first of all, how he tested Saul's heart. Secondly, how he tested David's heart. And then thirdly, how God is testing our hearts uh, here this evening. And really, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 16... <clears throat> You see, again, the criteria uh, uh, here that God is, is looking uh, in for a king to reign over his people. He's looking at a man's heart, and he's measuring his heart. But let's look, first of all, at the king that the people have chosen, and that was Saul. And God tested Saul, <clears throat> and Saul was chosen in chapter 9. Let's skip back there in chapter 9. And it's interesting when you study the life of Saul, uh, he was chosen to be king, again, by the people. 
And he really had a noble beginning. He, he, he began well and began very humble. We see here in chapter 9, look if you would in verse 2, it says here about Saul, and he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly, and there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. Uh, and what that simply means, he was good looking. Uh, he was good looking, and not only was he good looking, he was tall and good looking. Look at in, in the rest of the verse, it says, from his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. So here's a very uh, tall, good looking man. And this was the criteria uh, that they had used to choose them a king. He just looked like a king. He had a kingly appearance. And if you can imagine, he had the form of a gladiator. He was just just big, good-looking guy. And I imagine as they considered a king, you know, uh, uh, he would be uh, their warrior king. I mean, no one would want to mess with Saul. Just a big guy, good-looking guy. So... Uh, That was the criteria that they had used, but it wasn't long before we see uh, Saul that his heart, and and by the way, he he did have a heart. He began with a good heart. We know that he is going to visit Samuel when he's going to be chosen to be king. If you would look uh, there in chapter 9. Uh, Look, if you would, in verse 6, it says, And he said unto him, Behold, now there is in this city a man of God, and he is honorable man. All that he saith come uh, surely to pass. Now let us go thither, uh, peradventure. He can show us our way that we should go. And notice what Saul said. Then said Saul to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels, and there is not a present to bring to the man of God. What have we? So we see here that Saul, in his early years, he had respect. He had honor to the man of God. And this is speaking, of course, about Samuel. And they were going to visit Samuel. And he, little did he know when he would arrive there that Samuel would tell him that he's chosen to be king. He would anoint him to be king. Look, if you would, in uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 22. Um, in 9, chapter uh, 22, we see here that Saul, well, let me just read it. It says, actually, look at verse 21. It says, and Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? So we see again his humility. In my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, he's saying, me, king? Wherefore, then speakest thou so to me? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the parlor and made them sit in the chiefest place among them that were bidden, uh, which were about the 30 persons. And um, we see here that, that, that Saul was very humble. Uh, in fact, we see here that in, in chapter 10, uh, look there in chapter 10, this is when he's actually uh, being pronounced as king. Look at in verse 22, it says, Therefore, when they acquired of the Lord further, if the man should yet come hither, and the Lord answered and said, Behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff. You know, Saul, when he was actually called to, to be king and brought before the people, he's actually hiding. You know, he's, so he was very humble, uh, very uh, respectful towards a man of God. So he had a good beginning, but it wasn't long before we see now uh, that his heart begins to turn, and now pride uh, fills his heart. And he's, uh, we see him a little bit further here in chapter 13. Let's go to chapter 13. It's really kind of where we see his descent. He's beginning now to uh, well, 
his pride is taking over, his jealousy, his anger now is, is taken over. And um, <clears throat> we see in chapter 13, it says that when Saul reigned one year and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, uh, wherefore 2,000 uh, 2, were with Saul and Michmash, and in Mount Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Notice verse 3, and Jonathan smote the garrison, uh, garrison of the Philistines that was in, in uh, Geba of the Philistines, uh, heard of it. So uh, here we have the, the warrior king of Israel. His son Jonathan is doing his bidding. He's the one who's fighting over the Philistines. And it should have been... It should have been Saul. Uh, we know also, remember when uh, the Philistines' champion came and challenged, you know, Goliath came and challenged the nation of Israel and was speaking against them, uh, that Saul was uh, hiding. He should have been the one out there. Again, he was uh, head and shoulders above everyone else. He was the tallest. He was the, the best looking. He, he was the gladiator king, and he's the one who's kind of uh, hiding and not willing to go out and fight for the nation. And uh, God had to send David, uh, a young man, to do it. So we see here Saul just not really uh, obeying. And his heart was really just kind of drifting and growing colder uh, against God and against the man of God. We see a little bit further in chapter uh, 14 here. We see uh, here Jonathan again fighting his great victory and then in chapter 15, we see how Samuel had told Saul <clears throat> to uh, wait uh, before he would go into battle with the Amalekites. And he, he, he told him to wait, and not only to wait, but not to take of any of the spoils. And we see that Saul himself, uh, uh, his uh, disobedience to the command. Uh, look, if you would, uh, here in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, look at, if you would, in verse 12. It says, when Samuel rose up early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel. Behold, he sent him up, uh, he set him up a place. Now, this is interesting because uh, here we see not only did he obey, disobey, and he's disobeying God's commandments, but we see also that he's becoming so impressed with himself. Uh, we see here he sets up a place, a memorial to himself. That's what that means in, in verse 12. He set himself up a place to be honored for himself. So he's, he's going rogue. I mean, he's just off doing his own thing. Uh, we find a little bit later, Samuel had told him to wait seven days before going, and he goes ahead and offers uh, a sacrifice. Actually, that was, uh, we see that in chapter uh, 15 as well. So we see here he's just... Uh, he's not patient. He's no longer waiting on God. And friend, listen, a heart that God is after, or if we were to say this, what does a heart look like that is not after God? Then we see it uh, expressed here in the life of Saul. In other words, Saul was no longer concerned about God's commands. He's no longer listening to God. And not only that, he's become impatient. With God. And patience or waiting on God, I believe, is a characteristic of what, a, what a, a heart looks like that is after God. And we see that, secondly, when we look at David's heart. David, as we know, was a man who was after God's own heart. And God himself said that I'm going to 
Choose me a king whose heart is after me. So when we look at David and how God had tested his heart, you know, we see a a major difference, really just a, a contrast between King Saul, who was chosen by the people, and then we see King David, who was chosen by God himself, handpicked because he had a heart for the Lord. Now, what does a heart look like that is after God? Now, again, we're, we're, we're considering our own hearts this whole time. You know, do I have a heart that is after God? If I were to diagnose my own heart this evening, does it look like a heart that is after God? Well, what, is a heart that looks, uh, what does a heart look like that is after God? Well, uh, first of all, I want us to see something that David was known for a, a, a man, or, and he was king, but he was known as a man who loved the commandments of God. He loved the law of the Lord. Take your Bibles and let's go to the book of Psalms. Now, the Psalms are all full of David's uh, praise and love and worship of God. But Psalms 119 is a special psalm. Not only is it the longest psalm in all of the Bible, but I think every verse outside of three verses in all of this uh, this chapter are about the word of God. So every verse is about God's word, except I believe for three of them. But notice if you would hear what he says in Psalm 119, go to verse 97. Psalm 119, verse 97. Notice what he says. He says, oh, how I love thy law. Well, that's quite a contrast from King Saul, isn't it? One who disobeyed the law of God. One who had no concern about what God was saying, but more and more just concerned about self. And David, he loved God's law. Notice what he says. He says, it's my meditation all the day. And this is, in other words, I I, I think about what God wants from me. This is something that I I contemplate and I consider throughout my day. In fact, all day, I I wonder and I think about what does God want from me? What is God's law? Now, I do understand, church, that this was a time they were still under the Mosaic law. You know, if they were to obey God's law, they would be blessed. If they rejected God's law, they would be cursed. I understand that's not the kind of uh, covenant that we are under today, Uh, but Notice how David approached it. He said, I love God's law. It wasn't something that, was, uh, that he felt was a burden. It wasn't something that he felt was a chore. To follow God and obey God, that he loved it. And I just wonder if that's where we are tonight. Following God, serving God. Obeying the Lord, has it become a chore? Has it become something that is, is, is something, and maybe we, we would never say it out loud, but in our hearts, it's truly how we feel. It's just become something that has been a, a more of a duty, more of something that we just, uh, it's be, become maybe even a religious kind of a, a, a ceremony or, or something that we just do because it's what we've done and we've lost the love, we've lost the passion, we've lost the zeal. Well, David said, it's something that I love. I love the law of the Lord. By the way, uh, I'm so thankful for God's word. 
tonight. Aren't you, do you love God's Word? This is the greatest book. And by the way, it's not just a book, it's 66 books. 66 books. There's no other book like this book. Compiled by 40 different authors, written over a span of 1,500 years. What God has compiled for us is truly and, and unmistakably out of His love for you and I to give us this book, how it's been passed down to you and I that we can open God's Word, His complete Word, and, and get to look into the very heart of God and see His plan over the Old Testament, all those years of the prophets and the priests and the sacrifices, all pointing to God's fulfilled plan in His Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, I'm so thankful for my Bible that I can open it up and read His story, read it in its completion. I love the Bible. Do you love God's Word tonight? Oh, listen, if that's something that, and listen, we're all susceptible to, to taking it for granted. We're all, we can all get to the place where it just becomes something that we do and not really treasure it. Listen, we all battle with that. We all battle with that where it just becomes routine. But boy, we're holding a treasure tonight. David said, I love thy law. I love it. It's something I think about all the time. Let me read on here in uh, Psalm 119 uh, in verses 99. He says this. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 98. He says, though through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. Look at verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. So again, what, is it, what does a heart look like that is after God? It's one that loves his word, loves his commandments. Secondly, contrary to Saul's heart that was not seeking after God, David had a heart that waited on the Lord. You see, Saul's heart became impatient, and he just went ahead and did what he wanted to do. But over and over and over in the scripture, we find that David waited on the Lord. How many times do we read, David inquired of the Lord? You know, I think of that terrible time when David was king, and you may know the story of when they were at Ziklag, and they had returned only to find the tents burned, and the wives and the daughters had been taken away. And they wept, and they mourned their defeat and their loss of their loved ones. And in fact, David's men were so angry, they wanted to stone him. And David, what did he do? Did, did, he, did he just, uh, you know, uh, uh, run away? Did he, did he uh, leave and, and, uh, and just have a pity party? No, it says immediately he inquired of the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. You see, a heart that is after God will be one that is waiting on God, even in the midst of, of, of troubles and trials and problems in our lives, that he becomes our first resort. We go to God with our problems and issues because we're seeking him with our heart. Now, I don't know, I, I got to meet some of you, but I don't know what, uh, most of you in this room, and I don't know what you're going through, but maybe you're going, you have some issues and some problems you're dealing with. 
And I just want to encourage you to take those. Let, let God be your first resort. Let him be your refuge and your strength. I mean, how many times did David write about that? The Lord is my refuge, my strength. I mean, David admitted there were times where his enemies were too strong for him. The, the burdens of life were pressing down upon him, and he would run to God. God was his, his haven, his place where he would find the rest and the strength and the peace to go on. You see, David waited on the Lord. Uh, thirdly, what else, does we find, what else do we find that David's heart looked like? A heart that truly was after God. It was a heart that repented from his sin. Now listen, David had a heart after God, but we all know that there was that dark period in his life. A time when, when his heart did drift and he got away from God. And uh, he began to act upon his own selfish lusts and desires. You know, 2 Samuel chapter 11 is a dark period in the life of King David. But you know what's interesting is you, we have the whole story. You know, uh, again, when Saul, was, when Saul disobeyed the Lord, and you can read about it in uh, uh, verse uh, chapter 15, when Samuel came to him and said, you had disobeyed the Lord. And, and he says, uh, he, t- he asked the Lord to forgive him. But the, in the very same breath, he said, okay, now honor me. And, you know, it was at his memorial what he had set up. So he, yes, he, he, he paid lip service. He said, Lord, I'm sorry. But he wasn't truly repentative because, or repented, uh, repentative because he went ahead and did what he wanted to do in the first place. And he just kind of continued in his own direction. There was no genuine repentance from his sin. David, on the other hand, we read about in uh, Psalm chapter 51 and also in Psalm chapter 25 is that when David was found out by the prophet Nathan, what did David do? He repented. Psalm 51, and I'm certain you've probably read that, and uh, David's restoration had taken place because he repented and, and cried out to God for forgiveness. He said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. And he wanted that relationship to be right again. And God, of course, knowing David's heart, restored him once again. So what does a heart look like that is after God? It loves God's commandments. It waits on the Lord. And it truly is repetitive when we sin. We want to get that right with God. We don't want to continue in our own way. We want that relationship with God to be right. Now, lastly here, as I close here this evening, and I want us to lastly think about how God tests our heart. How is God testing our heart today? I first of all want to share two truths with you, and then three disciplines. So two truths, and then three disciplines. The first truth is this. Know, well, I'll say it to me first. Know that my heart is wicked. That's a truth. Our hearts are wicked. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? And that is a truth about every person, even if they're a Christian, even if they're a child of God, our hearts are wicked. And we have no power to change that. I mean, we, we struggle with it all the time, do we not? 
it's a constant problem. Is my heart that is prone to wander. My heart that it, it, at times is, is contrary to what God would want me where my heart to be. My heart wants to wander away when God wants it to remain. And that is the constant battle we all face. And that is a truth. That is something that you and I will live with because it's our nature. That's who we are. We're depraved and we're broken and we're sinful. And we can't cleanse our heart. We can't change our heart. Now, I understand that maybe we can bend our will to do certain things. But at the end of the day, our hearts are wicked and they are not naturally inclined to God in his way. The second truth is this. Only God can truly change and cleanse our hearts. He's the only one. I read over in Acts chapter 15. Let me just turn there real quickly here and and listen to this verse. Uh, This is a verse I I have often skipped over. Uh, Just read and never really understood the power behind it and the impact it has. But in Acts chapter 15... Peter is preaching, and he says something here that is just so powerful. And he's talking about being a preacher that was sent to the Gentiles. Let me read it in verses 7, Acts chapter 15, verse 7. It says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know not how that a good while ago God made choice among us, okay, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Notice verse 8, And God which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, give them, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. So he's just kind of disputing here and saying, listen, not only was it us Jews that can get saved and are part of this promise, but the Gentiles also are receiving the Spirit of God. By the way, the Spirit of God is our, the evidence that we're saved. The Bible says, he who hath not the Spirit of God is none of his. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so this was going on, and they're all recognizing, hey, Gentiles are getting saved as well. But notice what what takes place when a person gets saved. Verse 9, it says, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. That is the work of God in every one that is saved, it's the transforming power of God is that he cleanses the heart. He's the only one who can do that. And, and friend, so uh, th- this truth points us to the, the constant need for God in our lives because our hearts are wicked and they so quickly will wander, they so quickly will stray. And we need constant cleansing. Constant contact with our God. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, that was written for Christians. First John, the book of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is for the family of God. That's for Christians. Our hearts need to be constantly cleansed and we find that in, in God and God alone. So those are the two truths. Let me share with you very quickly here three disciplines. And these have been such a help to me over the years. 
I've been saved now for 29 years, and I learned something almost immediately. You know, when you get saved, you kind of have that, that period. It's, you know, some refer to it as the honeymoon, <laughs> the honeymoon, and, 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 you know, the excitement that's there, the joy after being saved and having sins forgiven. And then, you know, you kind of, it kind of wears off a little bit, bit and then you kind of settle in. Uh, well, you know, that settling in oftentimes can be very, very difficult in the aspect that we realize, hey, the sin nature is still here, that it's a battle. And we recognize that there's some maintaining that we're going to have to do. If we're going to live a victorious Christian life, then we need to be aware that there's some things we need to make sure we're doing. And I became aware uh, shortly after I was saved that my heart was something that I needed to maintain. And so Proverbs chapter 4 became vital in, this, in these disciplines. And I just want to share them with you here real quickly here as, as uh, we close. But Proverbs chapter 4, uh, look there if you would please in verse 23. Proverbs chapter 4 in verse 23. <clears throat> The Bible says here, keep, and that has the idea of maintaining. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So every matter of life, everything that will happen in life will be a matter of the condition of our hearts. So keep it, it's saying it's, it's important that we maintain it. Why? Look, he said, verse 24, he says, put away from thee a froward mouth and perverse lips put far from thee. So the way I diagnose my heart in, a, in uh, a good discipline, if you really want to know where your heart is, then just for a while, just kind of listen to yourself. You know, what are the things that we talk about? And what we talk about will usually be a very clear and evident revelation of our, our own hearts. Uh, for example, uh, any sport fans here? Any sport fans? You might be, be, I don't know, what do they even root for around here? Yeah? Okay. All right, I'm in the wrong church. I'm, no, no. Uh, but you, you know, you've met these sport fans, and, and you know, fan is short for fanatic, <laughs> right? It's short for fanatics. Uh, and, and when you ever come in, in contact with not a fan, but a fanatic, you know, they're, they're the ones who are out in the cold with the shirts off, painted, and, you know, the, and, uh, but these are people that are truly, I mean, just immersed, involved in their sport, and boy, when sports come up, man, you, you, hit, you hit something that, boy, just excites them, they'll talk about it, most of the fanatics, they'll be able to tell you stats, they'll be able to tell you schedules, they know exactly what's going on with their team, and the players, because that's their heart. That's their heart. And, and they, so they talk about those things that they're passionate about. And, and that can go for anything. I mean, hobbies, uh, you know, you bring up fishing, we're going to have a conversation. You know, that's something I love to do. So, uh, you know, we can talk about that. Uh, and that's what I'm talking about is how our speech will really be a revelation of where our hearts are. 
Now, again, I don't think it's wrong to talk about sports, talk about hobbies and those kinds of things and engage in that kind of a fellowship. But do we, but do we spend time talking about the things of God? I mean, do those types of things, and I'm talking about the truths and talking about what he's done for us, our testimony. Do we share that with others? Do we spend time praising God? I mean, does God hear that from our lips, praise to him and and hear us talking about him amongst our family and our friends? I mean, is he, is he upon our minds? Is he the subject matter of our conversations? Because the speech will be a revelation of our hearts. Look at uh, verse 25. Not only is our speech a revelation of our hearts, but our sight. Notice verse 25. It says, let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. You see, what we watch our eyes and what we cast our eyes upon. Now, listen, I understand there are things we can't help but see. Amen? There are things we just can't help see that are evil. I mean, they're there before us and, you know, billboard signs and there's things in this world. Our eyes just happen to see and, uh, and we can't help that. But we can help and we can discipline ourselves to not allow our eyes to gaze Upon evil. Job put it this way. He said, I have made a covenant with mine eyes that I will not look upon a maid. You see, Job, in the oldest book of the Bible, you know, goes way back. I mean, the oldest book understood then how important it is to keep a heart right before God is to watch what we are allowing to come in, what we allow our eyes to to look upon. Why? Because the eyes are a gateway to the heart. They're a gateway to the heart. And so he says here, let thine eyes look right on. Don't, don't allow them to wander. Um, I came across years ago this little booklet, um, and uh, it's been a help to uh, uh, many uh, that have struggled with pornography and, and sexual sin. It's called When the Eyes Wander. And folks, that is a big problem, not only in our day, but it's, it's always been a problem. But we understand we're living in a day where those things are readily accessible. And if we're not careful, our eyes can wander. And so let's watch what we're watching. Let, let's, let's be aware. Let, let's get a hold of what we're allowing our eyes to gaze upon because it will impact our hearts. You know, there's a verse that says we can't invite fire into our bosom and not be burned. It will have an impact. It will affect our hearts. Lastly here, look what it says in verse 26. So it's not only our speech, it's not only our sight, but it's also our steps. Look at verse 26. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. You see, we, if, if our hearts are going to be seeking after God, then we need to make sure we're aware of where our steps are taking us. Now, thankfully, tonight, your steps took you here. And uh, perhaps every Sunday, they take you to church. That's a, that's a great place for your feet to take you, to church and fellowship with other believers and get around the people of God. And, and, uh, but, but what about on Monday? What about the rest of the week? Are, are our feet taking us? to places that are honorable, places that if, if the Lord were to come, we wouldn't be ashamed if he found us in 
those, those places. Ponder the path of your feet. You know, when I got saved, I had to rearrange the places where I was going, where my feet used to take me. They used to take me to people's houses that, that evil would, would take place there. And I realized if I'm going to grow as a Christian, I can't continue to attend uh, those, those, uh, with those people in those places. And so I allowed my feet to go in a different direction. And, uh, and I'm certain that's the testimony in case with many of us today. But how about it today? Uh, are, are you pondering the path of your feet? Where your feet are taking you? You know, uh, over in the book of Romans, the Bible mentions specifically how blessed the feet are of those that go and preach the gospel. It mentions the feet because that's where, you know, it ta- that's how we get around. That's uh, where we find ourselves. And I'm so thankful for missionaries that use their feet to go into foreign lands and preach the gospel. When's the last time we, uh, uh, that our f- footsteps have taken us to share the gospel, to be a blessing to someone, to encourage somebody? And so let's ponder the path of our feet. These three disciplines will help us to maintain a heart that will be seeking after God, our speech, our sight, in our steps. So how about it tonight, church? Would we take a moment to diagnose our own hearts? We saw Saul's heart. We saw David's heart. Now it's time to look at our own. Would we diagnose a heart before God? Now again, God has already been testing. He already knows. But will we see it as God sees it? Will we allow him to do that kind of searching in us today and us be honest with him this evening? Let's bow together for prayer. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon his word to our hearts this evening. Father, we are so grateful for your word that is a mirror to us. As we look within, we see our own wickedness. We see our own depravity. God, we see our need for you. Lord, we can't change our own hearts. That's your work. That's your realm. Lord, I don't know hearts here today. There could be one who his heart has grown cold. Maybe their belief is there. They believe all the right things, but while pursuing God with the mind, they've perhaps stopped pursuing God himself. God, I pray that we will be a people that truly have a heart after you. Lord, just speak to us tonight. Be with us in this invitation time. Lord, get a hold of our hearts. We'll thank you for what you'll do. It's in Jesus' sweet name we pray. Amen.